Hello and welcome to the 87th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how about they start making games, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Fractured Space by Edge Case Games. James, who are you and what do you do? I'm James Brooksby, CEO of Edge Case Games. Wow. CEO then. So you are the, the Lord and the High Master of all things. It, it sounds <laughs> it, it sounds more uh, it sounds better than it is. We're a small yeah. developer, so Indeed. CEO means that uh, I get to sit on the chair I'd like to sit on. But apart from that, everything else is game fair game for everybody. It seems. Right. So you don't march around with a military uniform with braids. Oh, I'd like to. Declaring yourself as El Presidente for, for life. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't happen, sadly. No, no. <laughs> sadly, no. So, um, that's the first question. Well done. It's usually the you know, first hurdle is the lowest. We, we, we Like <laughs> most video games, it does actually, there's a difficulty curve. There is a boss at the end. I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but, so the second question, a little bit harder this time. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Right, okay. Well, that goes back a long way, because I'm not quite a youngster. Uh, I've been around a little while. Yeah. Um, basically, back when I was um, just about a teenager, my brother's a couple of years older, um, uh, he was he was programming, he got into programming quite early, um, and we used to do the old-fashioned reading magazine uh, programs, out of magazines, and he would program in, so... First of all, I was dictating stuff to him, and he would type it in, and we'd find that it didn't work, work out what we'd done wrong. And then shortly after that, this is see how far it's going back now, uh, he would also get me to do the graphics. And what that meant was, back then, was I'd draw an 8x8 grid, and either have a pixel that was on or off, and then I would read out the grid and whether a pixel was on or off. Um, I did that a bit with him, and we made some little games. Um Unbeknownst to me, he was actually selling them out of the back of a magazine um, uh, to people and making a few quid. I don't, he never told me that until quite a lot later. Um, and that was my first foray into video games, but I didn't really think about it much more at that time. I was just like doing a few things, making little cars and mushrooms and caterpillars and whatever else I could make in, in very simple sprites. And that was, funnily enough, my brother, he um, sort of shunned um, the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64, and we had an Auric. Well, actually, we had an Acorn, then an Auric, then uh, an Amstrad CPC 464. Um, so uh, those are the kind of things we were messing around on then. And then I was a consumer of video games for quite a while, playing on the Amstrad and the Auric and things like that, and playing early games on whatever, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I was an Amstrad user as well. Amstrad, uh, yeah, it was a good yeah. machine. I liked it. Um, some of the games when they were really colourful they like look great on static and then they start moving like oh god mm. <laughs> but other than that it was a glorious well a lot, of, a lot of things like that were back then it was yeah. certainly uh, yeah, yeah. It, it looked it certainly looked better uh, but then if you got immersed in it you, yes. your brain took over and you didn't care that what it was you know I was in flying through space or I was uh, running around in a mansion or whatever it was so you know there was a lot of imagination because yeah. you needed it 
Um, then I went to university and completely forgot about it for quite a while. So I went right. to college and university and forgot about it for a while. Played what games. You, what did you read at university? Then? Well, actually, and this is going to sound monumentally boring, but it is related. I did electronics with computing and business. Right. Um, because I was sure I wanted to be an electronic engineer for a while. Um, but uh, by the second year of university, I'd kind of decided maybe I wasn't so much into that. Um, and there was lots of cool things going on. And one of our one of my um, uh, housemates had uh, an Amiga and he had a 3D package. Um, and we were messing around playing lots of cool games and uh, on the on the Amiga. Um, but he had a 3D package and sat there at the weekend or whatever, messed around with it and um, um, started making stuff. And it was. It was reminded me of some of the classes that I'd done in school, which then were called technical drawing, but basically how to how to make a nut and a bolt with in three views, which is pretty much how do you make 3D graphics. Uh, and I was making stuff and all the other guys in the house would sit around munching toast, watching me making um, at that time many, many ships out of Star Trek or an ATAT or an X-Wing or something like that, very, very simplistically, by the way. But it took some effort on an Amiga. Um, and then was I it set like a base one? Was it like a 500, was it? And you were just messing around with a yeah, 500? Yeah, right. absolutely. I think yeah. he got himself uh, like a Ram pack or something at one point right. Uh, right. to sort of give it a bit more oomph. Um, but we'd set them off rendering overnight, and then by the morning I'd have a spinny, roundy Starship Enterprise. Um, and... Um, and I really enjoyed it a lot, a lot, a lot um, right. to sit there for hours just making stuff and trying to work it out, how, what you could do. And then experimented with some of the ray tracing packages and things like that back then, um, which was seen to me mostly making balls on checkered, checkered patterns that bounce up and down and they look cool. Um, and then I thought, I wonder if I could get a job doing this. Um, and my industrial year was coming up, my t- sort of sandwich year. And I applied to a few places, but um, pretty much everywhere at that time said 3D. All games are still sprites. You need sprite stuff. You don't. That stuff's no use to us unless you want to do um, like the the pre-rendered video stuff. Um, and if you're doing to do that, then you need to understand crumbs. I'm trying to remember what it was at the time, but like early soft image and you know stupid rendering machines and things like that which was way way beyond my knowledge at the time silicon graphics maybe stuff silicon graphics stuff that's the thing i was looking for yeah exactly exactly um but um so they said what you need to do is get yourself depaint and you need to make sprites (laughs) so i had a go at that it reminded me of what i used to do but like the sprite artists by that time were very good at their job and just throwing yourself at it was was no good and i'm a and the thing that I realized is that I'm a person who can 3D model a thing. Right. And sprite art is a very different um, talent. And sprite yes. animation is even more complicated and, um, and, and requires a certain skill of artistry, which is not what I was. I was a modeler. Um, so didn't get a job doing that. I tried a couple of places, but, you know, the interview was quite short. Um, so that industrial year, I actually went into a software marketing office, but that learned, I did learn some interesting things that were useful later in life for that because we did quite a few trade shows and set those up and helped set them up and stuff like that, which you can imagine has been more useful many, many moons later when organizing things like going to PAX, which we just talked about. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah. Um, but so bit of a hiatus, um, in my degree, cause I'd kind of decided I wasn't so, 
uh, focused down on electronics. I really concentrated on more of the business side and a bit more on the computing side. Left university uh, or got to the end of university and pretty much by that time I'd got a pretty good 3D portfolio um, and applied to the industry. And, you know, in those days you just got the back of a magazine and it did, luckily, there's some of them actually had listings of, of uh, games companies, looked them all up, um, and wrote letters. Can I imagine that? Wrote so letters. when was this? When was this? Late 80s? 1994 or 5. That oh, just been. when the PlayStation was arriving. Well, a bit, yeah. Just a bit before, yeah. Just a just bit before. Just a bit before. Because, um, yeah, sorry, I'm forgetting because the PlayStation arrived in 95 in Japan, not mm. everywhere else. I can forget it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So just a bit before. And um, um, I got myself a job in a in a what was a flight sim company at the time oh, of course. Yeah, makes um, sense. Uh, because they sort of I was making all these aeroplanes and things and they said they had a specific toolkit and that company was called Sinis and they had um, uh, they had um, uh, some well some flight sims and so on um, and I had done some pretty cool helicopters and I was quite into military stuff anyway so I did a bunch of that and uh, they, they gave me a job um, I think maybe potentially because I was quite bossy and came in and had done some of the business stuff within a very short period of time they actually had put me in charge of the team that I came in as the junior modeler on um, uh, I've, I think I've seen that a lot yeah that naturally organized kind of we should do it like this we should do yeah. it like that and yeah. I don't know something something the bosses went right okay you should run this team for a bit um, which I did um, and then um, yeah, that was that was a sort of like I suppose probably only about six months, and then the Simis um, got bought with a alongside a whole bunch of other companies to effectively be create IDOS. Um, oh. So I'd, IDOS bought Simis, uh, Deep Red, uh, Core Design, um, Silicon Dreams, a whole bunch yeah. of people. I remember playing a that, lot of Core Design games from the Amiga days, actually. That's right, and they. They bought them all up. Domark, which virtually Domark was the oh, publishing yes. bit. Um, US Gold, I think, was one of them as well. So they put it all together, and this kind of created what was the early IDOS. And then there was a whole bunch of investment came down. Um, Simis rebranded to Kuju, um, and and grew. And I, you know, the, I could make a very long story at this bit. Basically, I grew <laughs> with Kuju uh, for the for the longest time from effectively what was became was team lead then became uh sort of, well lead artist team lead um then sort of it became what was called project directors and then we had producers for the first time because i was in charge of a heady team of nine which at that time was huge like nine people mm. for a while it's like wow nine people what are you going to do with all that yeah. um uh, and we made made some first games for this game this company that turned itself from sims to games um, and then grew along with that for for many many years. Um, I probably put down my um, Wacom pen in about 2000 something like that. It was the last kind of bit of 3D art that I did that went in a game, and then just purely followed the sort of the management track, um, producer track, I suppose, producer track, um, producing games. Um, and uh, I don't know how much you want about the recent stuff, but that's certainly, I would say, how I got into games and I became yeah. in games, um, as opposed to the, the more recent events. Yeah, that's really a fantastic sort of foundation 
from which we can obviously built from. And I find it interesting that you, you sort of in 2000 you stopped, and it's astonishing how in 16 years things have changed so dramatically mm. in yeah. in the field of video games. It's shocking, actually. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally, I've uh, I've uh, just so that I kept my hand in. I think a couple of years ago, I was talking to one of the artists and. Uh, I said, I really want to know that I can still do it. So I think uh, I uh, sat there, got a copy of Maya and built myself a, a, a Firefox out of well, the movie Firefox. How proud as I could be, put it down, said, I, I feel better now. I needed to do that just to know that I could still do it if I wanted yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, so I was very happy. And again, haven't done it. Haven't done any 3D modeling since, but I was very happy about that. I still occasionally noodle around because we've got. We're using Unreal at the moment, so last summer I noodled around in Unreal and learned other tool and things like that. I just there's something in a dev you can't you really want to be doing that. And there's you know flying around the world, meeting people, talking about game designs, all these kind of things. But still, occasionally you want to make something. That's um, what you do. It's yeah, part of your right. DNA, isn't it? It is. It is absolutely. <laughs> and it, at some points, it just has to pop out. Uh, as much as the team might go, "What on earth are you doing?" Yeah, uh, that'll never go in the game. I'm like, I don't want it to go in the game. I just I need to do this. I need to do this. Let me do it. Yeah, and they should know. They should understand. And like, oh, I think they do. Because also, um, every creative endeavour is ultimately very destructive. It sounds really weird for me to say that, but I hope <laughs> you understand what I mean by the amount of stuff that's actually thrown away. Like, that's oh, yeah. great. Tough. This, yeah. That's great for, for, you know, on its own, but it's no good for us right now, is it? No. Let's just park it then. <laughs> we'll just yeah. put all that and maybe for something else we work on. Right then, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and it's like a mini game jam in that regard. I'm not suggesting your your studio is made up of mini game jams, but there are times when you go down a little, you know, valley and go, "This is great," but it's not helping us in the long run. The, the big picture is it, and that's what I believe producers mm. for. So, well, yeah, there's more. There <laughs> is stuff that needs to be sometimes thrown away. Yes. Um and in the in the modern way we're making games, especially these days, there is a lot at the beginning that you need what we used to do was write a monolithic document and then assume everybody's going to enjoy what's written in the document and then you spend a long time making the document making the engine make the tools but you wouldn't know until an enormously long way into a project until you kind of got all some of the bit at least some of the bits together whether that's actually any fun because like a piece of paper is not fun you just assume from what you've learned and everything like that so you know these days people are building more and more Fast, uh, fast and agile prototypes at the beginning to de-risk and prove fun early on and then start um, implementation. And because you've got the prototypes and because maybe you're a bit more long in the tooth, you'd need less monolithic documents and you can sort of get into things in a, in a more agile way, which is you know, how we do things these days. Um, uh, which, when I look back, it's absolutely fascinating and almost it's no surprise sometimes when you think how many games people must have thought in the first few months, well, on paper, this is going to be great. But 10 months down the line, by the time they got their first version running, they'd done all the tools and built the team up, you know, not so much. But sometimes they had to then finish it because they've got a contract and, you know, and <laughs> oh, then you play why on earth did these games come out? And then you play them and you go, yeah. why did this game come out? How did and this- it's because that's yeah. probably what happened. Uh, you know. No one makes goes sets out to make a bad game. No one does. Mm. But Nobody does. Think, no. No, maybe. Yeah, no. <laughs> You've seen some of the green light stuff, but that's horrible thing to delve into. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bringing us up to present day, of course, you're now your founded Edge Case Games. 
a yeah. rel- relatively recent endeavour, I can assume, or am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. So we d- the, sort of in more recent times, we um, as as sort of Kuju changed, we uh, I got the opportunity to start like a new mini studio uh, after we've been running quite a large studio um, in in Surrey. We formed a, a sort of mini studio to spin off to take advantage of the new thing that we saw coming, which was digital distribution. And it's funny to say digital distribution had a new thing, but in 2007, when Geometry Wars had just pretty much come out, it was like, okay, there's a there's a thing here. It's new. It's exciting. Let's create a small studio around it, and we did. Um, and we called that Double Six, and we made a, a bunch of games for just for digital distribution, just mostly aimed at console. Exciting um, times, isn't it? It was. It was. It was great fun. It was like. What Microsoft okay. have done this oh, thing? Man. I know. Yeah. Microsoft. What, what, what would it be? People get excited about games they don't actually own. In inverted commas, like they didn't yep. have any media that said they owned it. You know, yep. you and I know legally. Even back in the eighties, you didn't own any games. You just owned the rights to play them. I had to yep. explain this to people. You had a EULA. Even on the tapes, like no, there's a there's a EULA. There's an end user license. You've only, you haven't. You don't own the game. You don't. Yeah, you own the tape. You own the tape. You own the media, but you don't actually own the game itself. Uh, I had this nose to nose arguments about this, so I'd explain this to people. And it, now, it, at that point, I remember it. I remember it distinctly. Mm. Like 2007, 2008. It was like, hang on, mm. I don't own any of this stuff. Did mm. you? You never did in the first place. So that was very liberating for you. So you suddenly realised that, hang on, the publisher, the middleman, all the distribution is vanished well, not yeah, all of it um, but the lot right. of it has gone that's right and we started talking directly to platform yeah um and we sort of thought of some ways of doing a slightly different business deal so that we could get some projects off the ground and uh yeah we we had fun with the first project we did there was burn zombie burn and we really enjoyed making that and uh enjoyed it as a team and um uh it was a, it was a good experience i think what what sort of ended sort of ended double six was when in the end of 2011, the consoles sort of changed at that time from being very much sort of, I suppose they were quite indie friendly at that time. We were able to get Dash Space and all this kind of stuff and advertise our games. And they turned to the, uh, I suppose the, at that time it became TV, 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 or just about was going towards that point oh, where it yes, was. Oh, yes, great. Xbox yeah. One presentation. Yeah, it's working towards that time <laughs> when was, I think the yeah. consoles went, right, we're going to be set-top boxes, and, you know, you can see the latest video by a pop star on the front of the dash, yeah. and the games are now back in the somewhere in the distance. And obviously we now know, in history, we know that that is going to be a complete U-turn from that position. Yeah. But for probably a good 18 months, maybe a bit longer, two years, the consoles it seemed wanted to be uh, a media device right it wasn't and, a happy time yeah it was a bad, it was a sad time to be yeah. a gamer going this thing that i've bought which you know i think i used to phrase was i bought a toaster to make toast i like toast and now it wants to give me tv yeah i don't, I don't i've got a tv <laughs> but why is my toaster telling me all about tv when yeah. Yeah. i want some toast right? <laughs> and uh i used to you know we used to love on wednesdays when you get these great digital games pop out and they'd yeah. be on the dash you'd know they're there it'd be all exciting obviously now we can look at it and go well it's gone back to something much more like that but yeah. those yeah that was a sad time and basically 
that was you know, like we went, okay, double six, it's, it's not going to work like that. So this, the world has changed and we could see some new directions coming. Um, and we did a management buyout of, uh, double six formed born ready games. Oh, okay. And we, and we were part way through, um, uh, a project which was Strike Suit Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realized that console wasn't the way. So we refocused to PC. Uh, and Steam were there with open arms saying, well, nothing to do with TV. We love games. Um, and we could see just looking at the numbers of people that, that basically turned their back on their consoles and ran open arm towards the, the, uh, the, the warm bosom I'm, of Steam. I'm still playing more games on my PC than I am on my consoles. I've got to say it. Well, that's right, and uh, it's a big mistake. You see, that's yeah. you know that was a that was a bad strategic move, and uh, you know people have gone to PCs and and have been loving it ever since. Yeah. Um. So we you know we re we repurposed our studio towards PC and PC gaming, and we had enjoyed making Strike Suit Zero, and Strike Suit Zero was a success for us, which was great. Um. And then Edge Case Games was formed out of. Uh, born ready games right. and the the reason why is it's it's for incredibly boring reasons right um <laughs> why we became edge case games from from uh from born ready games but it's it's to do with tax and investment right so yeah um, i won't even bother tax. going into it yeah. but they you know the vgtr appeared um which is the video games tax relief which is fantastic the government's done a wonderful job um you know, with, with the games associations of Yuki and Tiger, and yeah. I helped with some of that. Put it all together, we've now got something that puts us a bit more on level pegging with other people in the world, which is great. And we went, okay, if we're going to take advantage of that, we're going to take on some investment. Hold on a minute, here's a good way of doing it. We need to have another company, and and so on and so on, which is what we did, and and that made Edge Case Games. And in the same sort of kind of period, we'd finished Strike Suit Zero. We'd done the console versions. As console was getting back towards games, they did make sense, which was good. Um, we did the first idea Xbox game in the world for, and that was Strike Suit Zero. Um, and we did obviously PlayStation 4 as well. Both did well, which is cool. Um, we even did some VR stuff in that point period as well. We did, um, we were on Kickstarter because we did kickstart Strike Suit Zero. Yeah. Don't get much, uh, much, but don't, people don't talk about that much, funny enough, because we went on Kickstarter, we raised our money, and we delivered on exactly what we said, and that's very boring. It um, is. It sounds out. like either stupid, stupid success is like, um, how can I put it, uh, Exploding Kittens. Do you know that one? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, you know Been playing know, that all Christmas. <laughs> it's a fantastic game, but it's like three and a half million for a card mm. game. And, and the, the, the author go, why are you doing this? Like, you're you. <laughs> he has no ego, you see. Like, you're, you're really fun. Never mind. So he doesn't get how funny he is. Like, you're really, really talented and funny. Uh, and then the really terrible crash and burn disasters. Um, yeah. Which, uh, People love talking about the crash and burn disasters, mainly. Um, so they go, nobody's ever delivered on Kickstarter. Everybody's appalling. It's like, well, actually, lots of people have delivered on their Kickstarters. Yes. But, but, like, it's quite boring to say that they've done that. So nobody does. Anyway, so well, because we'd done, when we were on Kickstarter, we were on the same Kickstarter at the same time as Oculus. And I'd known uh, Brendan um, from when he was at Scaleform. So we, I gave him a call um, and we chatted and actually we got uh, Oculus really early. So we got Strikesuit working with Oculus. You know, this is way before Facebook stuff. Um, and um, that was really cool. So we mm. got VR going. Um, so we did some VR, early VR stuff with Strikesuit. Um, and then 
as I say, when we started with Edge Case, we made some pro- new prototypes and we'd been seeing a lot of, through all this strike suit period, we could see the change people moving towards PC and people moving towards different types of things they're playing, free to play coming. Um, and very, very importantly, and actually that's part of the reason why Strike Suit existed, is that we could see that niches could come back again, or niche games. I mean, yes. like, and I say that in the nicest possible way. I mean, look at, I'm um, sorry to uh, interrupt, but uh, yeah, it's no, a, uh, Pillars of Eternity. Look at that! That's mm. a great example of a tiny niche game that the genre, everyone said it was dead. Went, Actually, yeah. no, it's not dead at all. It's just that you don't want to take a risk with it anymore. And yeah, I think pretty is. much every genre is viable again now. Yeah. Um, but we went through, and I don't want to call it dark times because we actually we all had quite a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but from ninety eight, ninety nine through to two thousand and nine, so a good ten years plus, um, pretty much you would want to make a first person shooter, a racing game, a third person action adventure, and then when we happened, then you'd want to make. Um, you know, a fun family game and a music game and things like that. And, you know, we all had a lot of fun, so I'm not complaining, but it did mean that the genres that we'd involved, we'd enjoyed pre-98 were all considered uh, non-viable by the yeah. people who published everything, which is That's kind right. of understandable. It made no money in, in, in their terms. Yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't have got a journey. Changing. You wouldn't have got a journey. You wouldn't have got a gone home. You wouldn't have got a steady parable. It just... <laughs> No, no, no. You, you, know, you wouldn't get, you can't get one of those giant publishers getting right. their entire marketing department behind a Stanley Parable. It's just not no. going to happen. And now, look, um, I mean, if I may, you're just about to launch, but there's also The Witness, which just come out. Look yeah. at that. I mean, look, mm. no one's going to buy that. That's just, that's, that's just, you know, yeah. a miss. Or, no one wants that. Right. I'm watching the strangest, um, you know, when I walk past people's desks these days, they're playing the strangest games that wouldn't have existed in a, in a, the other universe but they do now and it's fantastic it's wonderful i mean this was the thing we saw happening at the end of double six and into into born ready and that's why strike Two zero exists people say why i remember very explicitly being called up by journalists going you're making a space game are you crazy why are you doing it and and this was you know early strike suit this is pre elite pre um elite horizon yeah this is pre um star citizen Basically, the only games Rebel out there Galaxy. that were space were pretty much X and Eve that people would could, yeah. could name. Yeah, yeah. And they said, you're making a space game. And we said, well, yeah. we believe that the world has changed, right? Digital distribution means that you're reaching in the world. And of the world, even if only, you know, 1% of gamers like space games, then we think that there's a market and we were proven correct, right? And obviously... Yeah. Now you look back, it's like, yes. And one of the big things that we saw that was a real, real prover of this was World of Tanks. Um, and, yeah. you know, because <laughs> and you listen to the to to, to the wargaming guys, they they hawked that round everywhere and everybody turned them down and went, you've got to be kidding. People haven't done a tank sim since 1994. Yeah. Um, and it was rubbish. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and look at that. So, and, yeah. you know, and there's an enormous amount of people uh, with egg on their face going, I could have signed that and it would have cost virtually nothing. Um, so, uh, you know, and now we're seeing we're seeing uh, space back in a big way. We're seeing simulations um, doing really well. Everything is now yeah. uh, is now is now possible. It seems like to the point where we have smaller indie developers outdoing the major developers at their own game. For example, SimCity wasn't a terrible 
version, uh, well, they did, <laughs> on EA, and then we had, you know, City Skylines. It was like, yeah. this is how it's supposed to be. This is yeah. what people wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's partly down to the leadership of Paradox as well. There's a, they've got yes. some smart guys in there going, yeah. we, they are gamers, right? And um, they said there's some great games that we really enjoyed in in the kind of period we're talking about in the sort of 90s. Um, and they go, right, okay, let's make some of those games as good as they were yeah. and make them better um, as well, rather than, um, you know, rather than necessarily going, we need to make something completely and utterly new that nobody's ever thought of, which is, which is a risk. And, you know, they are, they have a um, company as well. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Indeed. Um, and I think but, that you're now flowing yeah. in to mm. the third question. Okay. Because we're sort of tweaking onto your influences. We're definitely talking about your creative influences here. So that is what I'm going to ask. What is the thing that, mm. that, that drives you um, as a creator? Yeah, so that's an incredibly difficult, but I'll give it a go thing to answer. It's, it's, so, it's, not, it's not the glib question, you know, what, what makes you... It's, it's the, 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 generally, yeah, what's the it's, thing it's you... It's a brilliant orbit? question, but it's... Yeah. What, what, thing, what thing do you orbit? What do you find yourself always, like, gravitating <sighs> yourself towards? And like, oh, right, okay, that's fine. I'm all right with that. It could oh. be anything. <laughs> well, you see, the thing, mm, I'd say that from quite, an, quite a young age, I was into role-playing and board games and things right. like that. So I think they have an influence on everything, I think. Right. Obviously, they weren't high-speed high and interactive, and you weren't sort of uh, keyboard and mousing them uh, or anything like that. So you've got to think, how does that apply? But they, there's always a bunch of things that apply in those that that I think... You know, everything everything there has a little bit of an influence on me because that's the kind of thing I used to do, wargaming, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, sitting there playing, you know, Warhammer 40K um, as a boy for many, many hours on end, uh, doing role-playing games with my friends, um, playing Starfleet Battles, which I don't know whether you know, hopefully you do, but Starfleet Battles was a huge influence on me and I was always trying to think about how to make Starfleet Battles which obviously leads us to now, but uh, that's a that's a whole. We'll get to that, I guess. Yes, yes, we will. And um, and uh, sorry, when it's quiet then for a second, so I thought that's right. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> no, and no. Um, and then of course, you know, in in gaming terms, I was in the early days. I was quite a PC gamer, and I think that led right. to my sort of, as I said, sim uh, sort of sim upbringing. I used to enjoy playing uh, F sixteen Falcon and M one Browns, and I used to enjoy those sims. They were they put me in. They put me in those places in the in in the world, being that, yeah. you know, that uh, that Top Gun pilot, or being that guy driving around in in my tank, uh, lost in the desert or under the sea in my submarine. So I was quite a PC gamer for quite a while, um, and sort of the consoles. So probably I suppose the SNES and, and uh, Mega Drive era jumped past me by. I can see probably hear thousands of people going, "No, you missed out." On no, I, I suffer um, the same plight. I got a Master System. Got burnt by it because I thought it's going to be like oh similar to the arcade, and I played Outrun on it, and how it's wrong not. I was. Yeah, it's wasn't. Not. Uh, that no. wasn't until the Saturn arrived, which was another ten years afterwards. Yeah, that Outrun finally arrived in one's home. <laughs> <laughs> but but by that time you would yeah you'd played plenty in the arcade and gone the arcade's so good. I used to enjoy yeah. the arcade, no no problem at all. But no at, all. at home I quite played on the PC quite a bunch, and then you know like. This, you asked about influences, but yeah. I think PlayStation One. I had that was my 
there was a, so many wonders on PlayStation 1, which I've really on purpose not gone and back and looked at. I did it once on one game, and I wish I hadn't, because my rosy-coloured specs, they, they are HD Xbox One quality, um, fantastic gaming experiences. And obviously, somebody shows you a video of a PlayStation One game. You go, did it? Did it really look like that? It hurts. Uh, it really does. It hurts. It does. It does. All the swimming pixels. Oh yeah, Final Fantasy Seven. That looked great. No, no, it really didn't. Or Gran Turismo at the time. You go, Gran Turismo looks as good as Forza. And then you go look at it and go, no, it's not quite. No, but fantastic. So PlayStation One era. I think PlayStation 1 era, all those games in that PlayStation 1 era, which was a good chunk of time, were, you know, were, were huge influences and are huge influences on, on, on me, I think, in that there were so many wonderful games in that time that I was able to have the time to sit down and play and enjoy. And, uh, there was innovation going on. There was weird things that we were, as a, as a games company, able to import from Japan and, play play these weird experiences um even though some lots we couldn't understand um yeah all kinds of stuff went on in the in that kind of playstation one console time and i think i've i've i would say i've held on to that um as well quite a bit so this weird mixture of pc sim and playstation one console which is still mm-hmm. sort of sits there somewhere sits inside in me and going way back is like board gaming uh, board gaming and role yeah, playing and things and it like does, that. Yeah, so. it does pop out from that. That kind of influence definitely pops out in um, fractured space. You can see it. There's some. I'm not saying there is actually happening, but there's definitely dice rolls going on somewhere oh, yes. along the line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's an enormous amount where we refer to board gaming and stuff like that. I mean, the the, the uh, jumping completely off to one side for a minute and playing um, Star Wars Armada. We were playing a lot of um, X-wing board game as well mm-hmm. um, during a lot of the early days of fractured space and uh you know they do you know can't help but think about that sometimes yeah you're thinking about weapon arts and yeah yeah, fantasy fantasy flight flight stuff yeah yeah when they get it right really right but when they get it wrong oh (laughs) (laughs) i would have to ask you completely separately about the wrong so i can make sure i don't go and buy them yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i could i could tell you um so I, I get it now. You're, you're, you're basically mm. your your influences are from what you experienced as from a child to present day, and it's, that's it. That's what. That's exactly. Well, what I think yeah. There's there's the present day, but I think certainly. I mean, I'm, you're always influenced by so many things. You're, yes. If you, I think I always worry about people who start to shut them off from the world around them, and always referring back to a a while a, a time gone by, mm. and you have to be constantly looking at what's out there in all the things that your gamers, your players, your audience are also enjoying. Embrace so, the new. It's okay. Absolutely. You, we're good you, at you that. have to. Yeah. Most people yeah. don't. Most people don't like change, but we're different. It's okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's vital, in fact. It's vital, I, I, I find. And you, having that good, strong history is good, but you, you need to know what people are doing uh, right now. You have to. You have to keep up. What developer do you most admire in industry and why? And I understand you've been in the industry for a while, so you might hurt some people's feelings. Um, you can yeah. name, you can name a company. I've had developers go, can I say Nintendo? It's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I, it's it's an interesting one because, um, hmm. See, you said developer, right? So I, I yeah, instead of thinking, yeah, oh, creator. Yeah, that's an interesting one yeah. hmm. because, like I say, there's there's a whole bunch of people who've done some amazing things over over the time and over the years and it's sort of like you think you know certainly 
certainly it, it admires different than necessarily enjoyed the output of as well. So, you know, I, I must admit Square Enix and the Final Fantasy series, um, certainly in the early days, certainly PlayStation 1, certainly Final Fantasy 7 had a, a huge impact on me. So I suppose I, ad- I admire them and what they've managed to keep up, um, although I must admit I haven't played so much of the recent um, uh, games, but uh, certainly Square Enix and, you know, with the with the Final Fantasy, especially revolving around seven, which I think was a, a was a moment in my life, which which changed my life, I think, in the way I thought about games and what they could be and and yeah. how they could actually that, emotionally that tie you in. And that yeah, period was sorry to interrupt there, but that period mm. was an extraordinary time. It was late 90s. We had mm. you said Final Fantasy seven. You also had Zelda. We can't deny yep. that. We can't, you know, Ocarina of Time was an astonishing piece of coding. Uh, and then you had, you know, on the PC side, you had Half-Life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like, what? So, yeah, you had Half-Life going on, you had Baldur's Gate going on. It's, yep. It was an extraordinary time. That was a, yep. a Zenith. Metal Gear. Yeah, Metal Gear, of course. Metal Gear, yeah. Metal, Metal Gear, Gear Solid. Oh, I'll never forget yep. taking the controller out and realising, yep. oh, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's asking yeah. me to do that. Yes, he is. I know <laughs> that, that was so good. Yeah, so good. Absolutely breaking. And that's that. You know, I think so. It was. It's hard. It's a really tough one to actually. I know. Put your I finger know. on because actually you start to just start to think about games rather than the developers and the people who are making it because you don't. It's in this in this industry. It's really small and people know each other a lot and um, people are very friendly to each other and. In the UK, people talk a lot to each other, so there's, it's hard to necessarily, even with that though, it's hard to know the guys that are like the bigger guys who are inside bigger organizations, so the kind of the publisher developers. And they, those guys do amazing jobs and put out some amazing games, but they don't, they don't circulate to the same level, um, which means they're hard to necessarily admire as a developer because you don't really know who, how, what. Uh, in the same way that maybe what? yeah 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 and ha- and how they got to that point did they spend five years and billions of dollars or was it actually a real struggle and they had to fight tooth and nail for every resource mm. you don't know whereas when you sort of walk around and talk with um the you know the uk dev scene and you sort of know a bunch of them then you hear the stories of how you know how somebody really 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 um uh, fought tooth and nail for their game and, and, and it became a success because of the, the, the effort and the, the blood, sweat and tears and so on that was put in um, in a different way. And that kind of leads me, interestingly, to... So uh, uh, I, I admire... You said admire as a dev, so I admire Hello Games and it sounds like a bit of a... Bit oh, of a Sean uh, Murray, lovely man. Yeah, yeah so Sean, yeah. <laughs> Sean actually was my technical director and on my team for, for quite a while. Oh right, um, and um, he was at Double Six for a while, and it was during the Double Six time that actually he went off and formed Hello Games, and you know I know those guys well, and I actually, and this sounds, this is why it's going to sound like some kind of um, plug for the guy next door, but they're next door, <laughs> but we don't, we it's not like me and him are constantly beer buddies and always talking all the time, no. but I do admire them. And I, I should explain and justify this. That it doesn't sound like, oh, you're just talking about the guy who happens to have a studio next door. Um, I admire them because for a very small amount of guys, smaller than, than we are, they've done some pretty amazing things yeah. and worked incredibly hard to to 
to achieve what they've achieved. I mean, I know an enormous amount of people that work very, very hard in this industry, absolutely, but they've, they've, they bust the gut in a way that you just don't see. Mm-hmm. And Sean personally, um, has what he, he takes an enormous amount of on himself. And also, you know, it, it, there's a lot of people out there who've, who've been told just make a great game, but he knew that it wasn't just about making a game. It's also going to need to, you need to tell people about your game and you need to do, I suppose what we, you, you don't really want to say the sort of dirty word necessarily and say, Oh, it's all PR and marketing. But for him, he took it all on his shoulders and did it all himself. You know, slept around the world, um, went out to the bars with the guys from whatever magazine until late in the night talking to them all about his game. And, um, and he did all of that on Joe Danger, um, and, and made a name for him and for Hello Games. Um, and then obviously that's led into the next phase, which is also something to admire, which is that, that not only is the ambition of what the game is that they're making absolutely huge, um, but also they are still really small. Um, and the world is looking at this tiny, tiny, tiny building in Guildford with just a few people in it going, this is could, you know, this is, this is going to be the best thing ever. And it's a space um, game. <laughs> and it's a space game, which I like. Um, and. No, but you, you were saying earlier that no one makes space games anymore. No, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, there it is on the top list of games to look forward to for the year yeah. all over the world. And it's a space. Absolutely. There you go. There you um, go. and, and, you know, and, as somebody to admire in a studio to admire with a small bunch of people the world is looking at this little tiny building um with the ambition and the product that they're making which is there you go there's some you you said no, uh, I've, about I've admire so i think that's an admire yeah yeah i've met so many times in various shows and various things and uh, lovely man um no ego at all just doesn't have one and you tell him his game's great and he's just like really is it really oh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, look to the floor and uh, yeah, it looked to the floor with Irish uh, charm and uh, like, yeah. oh, don't think it is like mm. uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. Last question is my favourite question. Mm. I love to ask developers because it gives me an inkling as to what they like, what they like making, and what they're making next. It doesn't really, but I like to think it does. The question is, and this is because we're a gaming podcast, we're by, required by law to ask it. What are you playing right now? Hmm, that's a that's a good one. So. Right now, um, right now, I'm t- I suppose I'm going to try. Well, okay, I'm trying to say, think about how I can say it without not saying it. But uh, I'm on the judging. I'm doing some judging Ooh. for some gaming awards. Fair enough. Um, that time of year, so therefore, it? I have a stack of games. Yes. Um, right. And I'm enjoying them greatly. <laughs> that's a very. That, that's. You can do table. <laughs> that's a terrible answer. So what I'm going to do is I'll go off to the ones that I'm not playing right now right. because I can't talk about them um, and talk about them. Uh, talk about some games that I've been playing recently. So um, uh, I've been enjoying playing World of Warships um, quite a lot. Funnily enough, not only is it good research for looking at our game, yeah. uh, but actually it's good fun. So I'm yeah. enjoying that. Enjoying I, that quite a bit. It's a good, solid game. I was very impressed with it. Especially yep. how beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Um, so that's something you've been, you know, driven by as well. Like yeah. this game looks exquisite. Yeah, yep. to be similar, it's cool. Yeah, and a lot of people again would have said, no, you know, ships. That's even more niche than tanks. Um, what are you doing? And also said, 
you know, ships, that's incredibly boring, really boring. What do you do in a ship? You fire and you can hardly turn. But actually, there's an enormous amount of people who have proved all those people wrong and said, actually, it's enjoyable. And uh, I quite enjoy just trying to get my bead on that other frigate. Just the largest. I love the, I love the, the, the launching the broadsides and the screaming incoming yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it's great oh yeah if you can get your frigate alongside a battleship oh. and you can sink a battleship in one salvo of your frigate because okay. you managed to get all the way there and he was stupidly not looking yeah um yeah, yeah it can be well, really enjoyable you had someone else distracting him it's brilliant yeah on. yeah so i've been enjoying that um playing i was playing a bunch of heroes of the storm um uh and enjoying that as well um so uh, these are, I keep sounding may sound like all I play is games for research. I don't. There's a bunch of games, but I can't necessarily talk about them so much. You're not, you're um, not a MOBA player then. So I yes, I, yes, yes, and no. So I find <laughs> uh, League um, League is is uh, I've enjoyed League, but uh, it's uh, it's at some point it becomes too hardcore when I've got people telling me I need to do precisely a certain thing. I need a bit of rebellion a bit of yeah, yeah. independence um Otherwise so it comes you know solitaire with one player telling anyone else what to well, do well yeah i mean there's a lot more to it than that but I um i'm i suppose i'm a little bit of a rule breaker so it, it sounds it's a it's a bit frustrating when i'm told precisely the way i need to precisely play even though there's a lot more going on than that but you know that kind of that kind of thing um so i quite enjoyed uh enjoyed playing heroes of the storm recently which has been really good yeah um but uh, yeah, I've, weirdly, um, weirdly, I've been playing, and this is going to sound completely suddenly jumping off of a bit of a tangent. I've been playing this uh, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes on my mobile phone, um, mainly because I've just been doing a lot of travelling and um, just sitting there and building up a team of um, uh, you know Darth Vader and some stormtroopers and things like that, and then just going shooting some Ewoks on a treetop and seeing my XP build up is surprisingly addictive. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. For me, it's, uh, I constantly be, keep, keep on playing All Times Adventure. And we've had them on the show. I love this game. It's, like, it's an infinite runner, but it's a snowboarding infinite runner. And it's beautiful, oh, right. beautifully put together. I would highly recommend it. It actually requires a tremendous amount of skill mm. um, to play. Um, mm. So you have to be quite awake, but it is very See? relaxing. Now, that's an interesting one, we see, because some of the games, that, especially the Star Wars game, requires very little skill. Right. Um, but um, there is, it's an interesting one, which is a, a genre coming from the east to the west and um, is uh, sort of low skill. The skill comes actually in, in the sort of the metagame and sort of st- building up your stats, getting the right team together and then eventually sort of going against uh, other people in the world or against their stats and actually seeing how far you can get in the leaderboard. Um, and they're, they're, they're cunning games. They're yeah. really interesting the way... So I find, I mean, I find games interesting when I work out why something, is, when, why something is popular and why people are playing a certain type of game that's different. I like to dissect sometimes, even though um, you know, people will be saying, well, just go and play this game. It's great. It's great fun. It's like, yep, yep, I'll play that later, but I'm really enjoying dissecting this one <laughs> because I'm fascinated to know why it's working or why it's not working sometimes. You know, some yeah. people are, why are you playing that, that game? Nobody even likes it. It's like, yeah, but I want to know why. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and what they did wrong because, yeah. you know, we, well, that's part of my job is to go, if I see that we might be steering our ship towards the things that people have done and it, and it made them go bad, 
um, then it's uh, it's an important piece of my work. I mean, that's I mean, that's probably suppose one of the I don't want to say sad because I still actually really enjoy it. But I suppose that's one of the things about being in the position I mean, is that I don't actually get as much time to play games for pure enjoyment for myself as I do for playing. You said, what games am I playing? And actually, I am playing a lot of games because they are either educating me or they're influencing what we do or I'm learning from them. Um, so I see it as, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of research going on. But games are still games. I mean, I'm having a lot of fun doing it, I'm not <laughs> complaining. Uh, no. It's definitely not uh, not a horrible thing to be sat there going, well, I, oh, no, I have to play another two hours of of, uh, of um, League of Legends. How terrible it's like actually <laughs> playing a game, having some fun and... Uh, and at the same time, I'm learning and, um, you know, things like that. So uh, having a having a having a ball doing research, definitely. Um, but I've also got I've also got uh, some young kids um, and having having good time playing with them as well. So my youngest, um, uh, we were playing a lot of Lego Dimensions recently okay. um, and having lots of fun sort of messing around that, in that something more simplistic. My and, as, a, as a little kid. If that oh, yeah. When I was eight, it's it, magic. Just, it is magic. It's incredible. Absolutely. Total well, magic. Although for them, magic, I've, I've occasionally brought home sort of various VR kit we've got, and then I blow their brains. Because <laughs> uh, I know how that works. I'm fully aware of it. I remember VR in the 90s when it first, when it came around there, well, maybe a couple of times ago, yeah. playing MechQuarrie on VR. I'm just getting anybody into the house and playing the VR demos just makes people's heads pop, yeah. um, which, is, is, which is fun. It is the future. Speaking of the future, hmm. we now must move on to the second half of the show. Okay. As you can see, I'm rather adept at segues, although I just realised that I'm now rubbish because I just mentioned that I just did one, which means no, <laughs> it's a segue. Do you um, play a little, uh, little special tune when it goes between one and two? No, uh, I do. Diddly, 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 like the Batman sort of. We are going to have a little musical break, uh, right. which is from the game, <laughs> from, from Fractured Space, because that's what we're going to talk about in the second half okay. of the show, which is Fractured Space. question uh, I understand it's an Asimov reference if you, <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with it um, but it's not that convoluted weird question it's actually quite simple what is fractured space what is it oh, oh well there you go I'll tell you all about fractured space but first of all I'm going to do a little qualifier because funnily enough we haven't needed to do that much telling lots of people about what exactly fractured space is in a in a in a in a sort of shouty kind of way because really we've been just sort of making the game and uh, seeing what people think of it so far. So my uh, the, my uh, uh, I suppose pitch, as it, as you might put it, is 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 brand new and probably a bit rusty. So I'll give it a go. Um, so fractured space is uh, what we've we've coined at least for the now a tactical space MOBA. Um, so it has uh, influences from MOBAs, but it's not. Um, 
not trying to be another also ran um this is dota or league of legends but with um i'm not going to mention names but a skin on um it is uh it has moba influences but also it has influences from all over the place um and what do you do in fractured space um you are massive great big capital ships uh the biggest ships we think of Virtually any game, probably not Eve. Eve's got some massive. Eve's got the Titan size. Got ridiculous ships, exactly. You know, it's fair, fair. Sorry, sorry. those are very big ships. These guys are very big ships. Um, and uh, and you uh, blow each other to small pieces. Um, over and over again. And and over and over again. So it's a a multiplayer centric, uh, five v five. Um, you are in very very big spaceships, um, fighting for territory, uh, which is the MOBA influence part where you are. Um, uh, basically battling it out to to go for ultimate victory, and I'll give a bit more detail about that in a minute. But you uh, level up your ships, you customize them, you uh, make important choices as to what type of ship you want to go in with, what type of weapon loadout, um, work with your team to make sure that that's as good as it can be. Um, you unlock different crew, you get different crew, put them on your ship, um and uh you as you play through as you play more of the game you unlock uh new ships and new weapons and new crew uh to give you more and more options to go into the battlefield and and fight against your enemies and of course because people play in very different styles and very different ways and there's different scenarios um everybody has different favorites and different ways of using certain things against certain other things um and uh yeah it's multiplayer multiplayer online battle arena which is moba seems to mean certain things to certain people but basically multiplayer online battle arena is a is a very fair um use of of in in this sense um importantly uh we wanted to make sure that skill is really important in 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 the game so you as a player um, if you imagine you're using your mouse, your mouse is very much like a first-person shooter where you are needing to aim shots and land shots. So you don't just lock on and then just press a bunch of buttons. So it's not using some of the multiplayer, sort of massively multiplayer games where it's all about getting the right combinations of 1, 2, 4, 5, 7, 2, 4. Um, you are actually choosing your main, well, if you choose your main weapons and you're actually needing to shoot at certain parts of the enemy ships, um, with your main weapons. And then you might have a secondary weapon, which could be, um, a missile, but actually it could be a secondary skill. For example, it could be, uh, it could be a healing or it could be something that pushes ships away or pulls them towards you or, uh, depletes their energy for a while. Or maybe it lays down uh, lays down a mine, or it might actually increase the capture rate for your friends for a while, or put down defensive shields. There's an enormous amount of things that the ships do, because what we've done is we've created um, we've got quite a lot of ships now, and there is going to be many, many, many more spaceships to come, and they all have different behaviours and different strengths within sort of groupings. So you might say. These are assault ships. They're very aggressive. These are yeah. support ships. These are uh, tanky ships. They're there to absorb damage and and, and uh, hold ground. Um, but within that, there's enormous amount we can do, and we are doing because one of the things about science fiction is that it's incredibly close to magic. Um, and as Star Trek has proven over the many years, 
if you can think of a good way of explaining it, well, goodish way of explaining it, you can do anything. Inertial for example, well, inertial dampers, or for <laughs> us, a healing beam. How on earth does uh, one ship heal another ship in a dist- with a distance? And we just, we, I think we said it's nanobots, and yes, everybody pretty much, yeah, 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 that's fine, yeah. Of course it is. I'm just firing a stream of nanobots at his ship, and they fix it. They fix it. Like, Makes uh, sense. Yeah, that, yeah. That's plausible. Yeah. yeah, that'll do for me. Yeah, because every, only you only need to give the lightest excuse for something that's basically cool, yeah. and then it's fine. Long as right. it's as long science. as it's long as it's science, 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 it's sciencey and sciencey yeah. enough. Science. Um, exactly. Um, and uh, we are we currently have two modes. We have the conquest mode where you uh, start at your base, they start at their base, um, and you have areas of space that you don't initially see. They are in different parts of the let's say, solar system, and you have jump drives to jump between these areas of space. Um, and this is a great deal of where the fun and the strategy and the tactics come in, because uh, your team might all go to the alpha sector and leave one to go to the beta sector, and their team might have chosen the central gamma sector and some more, a little bit of alpha, but actually you've gone strong in, in the, the uh, beta sector as well big fights ensue and, and, and so on. But actually, where people are and where they are maybe hiding within those sectors is really important, and your jump drives take time to re-warm up and so on. So actually, okay. yeah. you know, you've got a whole bunch of jumping about, but also being in certain locations, and you become very vulnerable to damage when you're trying to jump. So actually, when you realise you're in the wrong place, but actually I'm under attack, you have to, you have to battle it out. But you might just about make it. Actually, one of the most fun things in the game is when you're down to a couple of pixels on your health bar, but your jump drive kicked in and you made it and you gasped with a sigh of relief that you actually got to the next sector. Unfortunately, sometimes the person behind you was, uh, was thinking what you were doing, knew where you'd probably jump to, appears, blows you up. Then they get in. You've got a good sense of satisfaction for a second, but they get an enormous sense of satisfaction because that's actually quite hard to do and pull yes, off and then, so on. Generally, but then they've... You've gone. They've gone into a friendly sector, and then they get blown up. So it, it's you know. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's one of those things. So it's not for chasing um, you. So during in the in the yeah. side sectors, there yeah. are resource points, True. and those resource points, you uh, certainly during the early game, um, you are taking control of these resource points because as they provide resources to your team, your team levels up. You get to use those those resource points to decide what time of way you'd like to specialize for your ship, which is quite a new feature. It just came on at Christmas. Um, so you can choose aggression or um, support or defense and actually try and specialize your ship in certain ways, depending on how you like to play. Um, and then you go up in levels. And as you go up in the, as the team goes up in levels, they become more powerful um, and the game actually starts to speed up more and more and more. And you are playing tug of war because whoever has that advantage yeah. generally has an advantage in combat, an advantage in speed to be able to take points because the only way you're going to get into the enemy sector is to take uh, control of their forward station at the end of their lane and then jump in. Uh, and when you jump in, you get to their base, which does defend itself. So you've got to take down some of its defenses and then go for the capture and go for the win. However, also the central sector, which is only occasionally there's a thing in it which is only occasionally turned on, which is currently called gas, and it's a gas station, but we have some big plans for what that will be in, in the end. Um, there's, that occasionally turns on, and whoever captures that gets a great big team buff, and then they can really change the game around. And it's amazing how much one team can be quite certain of a win. They go 
they go too soon into a base, they get taken down, they've got a little bit of time to wait to respawn. The other, the, the, the one team then, for example, then goes, gets gas, jumps into their base and then wins. Um, where, you know, there's a lot of cases where one team just pushes too far too soon and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of nuancing in, in timing that right. Mm-hmm. An enormous amount of games can be pulled back from the brink. I was in a 98% they'd captured our base uh, last night while we were doing um, sort of our live stream. 98% they captured a base and, you know, people were sure. They were going, oh, well, this game's over. Let's just get it over and done with. Somebody pressed the surrender button. I refused. Never surrender. Um, and uh, And actually, we turned it round and won. Uh, and you know it's, it's a, and they only had two percent to go but basically they'd overstretched themselves they were too cocky we went and we really hunkered down concentrated um went and got the gas won that battle which turned it round went to the base and kept on just that with attrition they just realized they were on the ropes and eventually they just couldn't spawn fast enough and and, and we won um that's not and, credit to the, the game design it's got to be said if it's balanced that well that you can it's not because a lot of mobiles suffer from that. Oh God, I've got to see it for twenty minutes now. I can't win. No one can win. I've got to see it for twenty minutes. Um, just waiting for us to take it down. It, it, happens. it happens. It does happen. It does happen. And it's not. Sometimes it is can seem like a foregone conclusion. But you've got to. It doesn't. It is balanced so that you can pull it back. Um, and it's one of the things with a lot of mobiles, though. That is a big recurring problem with mobiles because it only takes one person to give up on your team and go AFK and then eventually get booted or something. And then you're at a disadvantage, mm. but it's one of those things that we, in fact, there was a hot debate again and it comes up every time we do a big update as, as to right. What's have, who's, has anybody come on with a new cunning plan to address this? Um, because it's a perennial for every, every, everybody, um, of how you address, um, somebody giving up because they just feel, you know, I got shot too much or I just don't think we can win this or something like that. I mean, we've, the, our matchmaker is getting much better, which is important, which makes a big difference to that. So people feel balanced, but you can still get somebody who just gives up. So we're working on it. There's, we have some new cunning plans, but, um, there's a lot of great minds in the world still working on, on, on that particular, particular one, because it's a, it's an interesting one. And talking of balance in general, I mean, we're constantly working on trying to get the ships to balance, but it's a moving feast. Um, because we introduced new ships. Luckily, I mean, this is one of the things that the community has done so well for us being in early access is that they, um, they give us, they play the game way more than we can possibly do because we're trying to make the game. And they will say, you know, that ship you introduced with that gun, if you go against these two ships, you basically have, you've created a, a perfect storm. Or if you get two of these ships with one of those ships, you've created another perfect storm, which means you're basically indestructible. And we go slap our foreheads and uh, <laughs> have to quickly do a fix. Um, but, you know, balance is, balance is always changing. And um, we, we're striving towards balance because that's one of the things about our game as well, I should point out, is that no one ship is necessarily better than any other ship. It's how you use it, how you play it, what you prefer, um, and that's a really important feature. We, you know, a big influence on our game is also World of Tanks. Um, that was a huge influence on us through over time. And we thought about doing a tree with um, upgrading over time. Mm. Um, but actually, one of the problems you've got with that, especially when you're quite small uh, or initially small, is that then you have to chop up your audience into lots of little pieces 
and then you've got the people over here who are a small game playing with themselves, and you've got people over here who are playing with themselves, playing with each other, and so on. Lots of little parts all over the place. And whereas some of the games that haven't done that means that there's an enormous pool of people who are generally playing, uh, playing together. And then once you've got enough people, then you could start to go, well, these people are clearly better now than those people, so we'll put them into a little pot uh, to one place, and they can play together in their own league, uh, and so on and so on. You create, start to create leagues. Okay. So we've kind of got a definitely, I mean, somebody pointed out pretty much early on in our forums, they said, oh, my God, it's World of Tanks meets League of Legends in space. Um, and, yeah, you, know, so you can see that. There's other influences around, yeah. but... Um, uh, yeah, they missed out the bit from Starfleet Battles the board game, uh, which like I said was the that there you go. I've referred all the way back to that bit where I said that that was a a, a lot of where it came from yeah, as well. Yeah, you did the um, loop. I, I just got yeah, yeah. just a first sort of technical question to you now. Mm. Is, um, hulking great spaceships, blowing similarly sized floating behemoths, never ceases to be fun. Do you think this has fed the design of fractured space quite a lot? Of course, because <laughs> it, it never ceases to be fun. Um, it was interesting. It was during sort of the, the sort of like thinking about Strike Zoo Zero and so on. We were thinking about what you could do if you ever made a sequel and all these kind of things. And certainly just being in big ships rather than the little ships is, has an appeal. And really, sort of nobody really done it in in a way that we wanted to do it, where you had very much... Uh, full control, not necessarily trying to be a bridge simulator, not trying to be overly much a simulator, um, something where anybody with, with a very shortish period of time could at least get to grips with, with the basics. Um, yes, there's more complexity, and actually, yes, you know, there's, there's a lot to do if you want to win, but actually just flying around and looking around and firing my guns if I just want to poodle about and shoot at a rock I can feel like I'm there and it's big and so on. And, and actually, there was a lot of initial playing around with um, uh, playing around with the speed of ships and the sense of movement to try not to make them feel too uh, nimble. And then they suddenly start to feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And in fact, our, again, our community were quite good on that as well as going, you know, these ships, you, you, these and this ship, they're too fast. They feel small. They feel like frigates um, or even less. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. We like Millennium Falcon, but do we want it in this game? Probably not. You know, it's just no, yeah, Millennium Falcon uh, gets splattered off the front of our ships. Um, exactly. Or it would be attached to the side like an Olympus, of course. It would, yes. Um, and which it did do in Empire Strikes Back. So, exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and maybe we'll have Olympus ships sometime. Who knows? Uh, so the the big ships is, is is key, and of course the artwork feeds that into a, into a mm. huge way. Very um, interesting style of ships you've got. Some of it reminds me a little bit of two thousand and one. Ah, some of the some of the so ships. it should so it should yeah. So I mean, really down to the sort of the early art direction and the concept art that you work with, because the um, the important thing for us was that. Uh, especially the way that I suppose Western sci-fi has gone, is that it's, it's becoming more and more believable in, in lots of ways in that, um, you know, people aren't flying around in weirdly coloured UFOs. They actually feel like they could exist. And we wanted to really, really make sure that people could look at what they see in the game and go, I, I, I reckon that could be what ships could look like in the future. Right. Um, 
so what we did was we actually did and there's a wall in the office if you ever come and visit you should um there is a wall of not just the ones that you currently see in the game and influence from the game but actually some other ones um that, that could happen one day um and we started off with a couple which was basically NASA influenced or really what that means is modern space technology and then oil rigs, uh, oil rigs and heavy industry, um, because both feel like they could be believable parts of the way you would explore space yes. or mine space. They are most so, extreme types of technology we build now, especially oil rigs. I mean, like, what are you doing? What's the, the millions, billions they've spent? on making oil rigs. Like, why? Have you seen the return on those things? Yeah. That's why. That's, That's why. why. But you would build, if you're building a spaceship, you might go down to different routes. You'll go, well, actually, in a very functional way, we would build something out of just giant girders. As long as you can get the girders into space or make them in space, you would start just building things out of girders like oil rigs because you don't, unless where people need to have be there's no reason to keep filling all those voids so you end up with one particular train of thought and that's the zarek um uh, sort of very heavy industry very functional and the idea is that those guys evolve from mining and heavy industry in space and then you have the uh more um how we would like to think of the future in in certain ways and like you say with 2001 and our current space exploration and the iss and so on um, is is uh, that sort of uh, very formed shapes um, with very white and gleaming surfaces and so mm. on. Um, and that is the, the USR. And those guys are the space explorers and they are the scientists. Um, and that's the way that they went. That's the way that their ships evolved and, and so on. Yeah. And then the third manufacturer, which came on a little bit later, um, which is the TDS, the Titan Defense Systems. Now, those guys, they made ships to fight. Um, and they they made ships ships of war, um, and they were a corporation that actually I say were are will be. Uh, they're a corporation that uh, um, that has a, a um, so sort of military industrial sort of look and feel, and is probably the most sci-fi of the three that actually is influenced more by looking at the Sulaco from Aliens, or actually some of the more recent crop of sci-fi that you'd see. That where it's believable, uh, but is oh, possibly like the Saratoga a bit... or the Sulaco, I see, yeah, 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 which is possibly um, it's still believable. There's still sensible engineering in there, and they're if you look at them, they're actually like the hulls of submarines and the bottoms of battleships and things like that. So there is hulling, there is reason, there is still form and, and so on, but they're a bit more of the um, not necessarily derived from a different technology. They, they are military. Um, and we actually have some more concepts on the way and, and, and things like that for further down the line to fill out more manufacturers with their own different uh, takes on what a spaceship might be. But always the important thing is that they're, they're believable. And very importantly, bringing it back around to what we were saying, is that the, 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 the concept artwork and the way that we look at them is that they really, really must look and feel like they're big um, and because you can easily hard to move and it takes a huge amount of effort like a lot of effort yeah steer two degrees to the left 
Why? Absolutely. We really need to. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and that's really important. And it's, it's actually taken. We've scouted around for quite a few different concept artists who can draw a good spaceship. But once you get above a certain size, they, they still look like they might be kind of medium ish. And you go, no, no, really big. And they go, well, what's the difference? And you're like, OK, you know, you need maybe you're not our man um, because no. we want things that look and feel big when I just look at the drawing of it. Um, yeah, the, the uh, Super, there's certain Super things Star about Destroyer it. is a really good example. All the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. That's Star a Destroyer great is a great example. example. It's, just it's, like, a, it's a simple form yes. um, of, of when you look at it, bits. but it's got incredibly small detail, yes. and the lights are very small on it, so yes. it goes, if that's a window, this thing's huge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, that, and those, all those things are really important. So simple forms and shapes, but with very fine detail, um, and keys that our eyes pick up on, like lights and light windows, give you a sense of scale. And then recognisable bits. So the back of the Star Destroyer has engines that you might see on an Apollo. And we go, oh, engines. All oh, right, OK, so it's got engines. So maybe it's this kind of scale. And that's all that that looks like. It must be if those are windows and that's an engine. Wow, those engines are huge. This thing must be powerful. And all this kind of stuff that starts to sort of form in your mind quite quickly when you when you look at these things. So, again. Yeah, we're fractured space is about the spaceships and there's some very lucky guys in the office who their job is to uh, design new spacecraft on a daily basis. So they're not that we're making one every day, but, you know, they're making new spacecraft and they are effectively spacecraft designers thinking what you would want as a warlike spaceship in the future. They then feed that to the artists once they've got the concept and, and actually blocked it out and tried some things. And the artists then create that manufacturer's take on that design. So there's, yeah, there's spaceship, spaceship manufacturers in our office. They must be from the future. Um, <laughs> they must be. They yeah, must be. yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's cool. So uh, I'm going to combine the sort of like mm-hmm. last two questions today because we're, 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 we're running a little long. Sorry. Okay. But, um, we've got uh, combat is about trading of blows and even broadsides in some cases if you can get close enough, which I barely do. Um, can you describe how this came about and you managed to balance the sense of impact from weapons versus their effectiveness. I mean, does it feel like, oh, I really hit him there? Um, and that kind of thing. Just just how you designed yeah. that. And then the final so, sort of run-up question mm. is that we know it's going to be designed around free-to-play. So just to tell us about how that's going to work. And then we'll find okay. sign off there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think on the sort of the weapons and and feeling of impact, I think again yeah. it's the 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 key there is uh, well key. There's a bunch of different things that go into it. Obviously, the the look of the effect, the size of the effect, the um, the velocity, the impact uh, that it has on the other ship, the effect that happens on impact, and and, and very importantly as well is the audio. Um, we've got a great audio designer and. You know, he he um, you know, very rarely puts a, a step wrong in terms of thinking of something that's going to make it feel um, uh, importantly believable again. Like we, we don't want zappy, uh, zappy weapons. Um, I was about to name names of a game that's out there with too many zappy weapons. But, you know, they want to feel like they're. A, a good solid thud and a good yeah. bang. So again, probably more Star Wars influenced um, uh, than Star Trek influenced in terms of the weapons. Yes, because Star um, Trek's lots of shields and phasers. 
Yeah, oh, and they're a bit more whiny and high pitched, and you know that's that's from the era it came from as well. I think yeah. it had a long influence on it. Whereas we want to have sort of much more believable, um, more sort of thuddy and 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 thumpy, and uh, um, and the way they fly, and the fact that they are potentially sometimes sometimes they're not, but quite often they are um, a real projectile moving through space. Um, and and therefore they should act accordingly and, and and all this kind of thing. I think you know I don't think we've still uh, perfected it. I think there's lots more we can still do with this to make sure that every weapon gives you a sense of um, the same thing you might get in FPS, where you pick up a certain gun and you go, oh that feels good, you know when you when you shoot it. And we've got we've got some guns that are more um, uh, feel more good. That's terrible. Feel better. <laughs> um, and and some guns that still, you know, you, but we're in early access. We're all working on it. Some guns that feel a little light. Um, but actually, some of them, they are supposed to be light weapons. Yeah. And actually, you are just doing lots of DPS and yeah, so on. So nibbling your way at the sides of the shield and yep. actually like, oh. Nibbling away. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So there's there's a lot going on there. But I, I must admit, I, could, I do like a good, big, thudding, great gun. <laughs> um, so, you know, I do enjoy... Especially when you bring it to bear. Or something. When you bring it to bear and you're in well, range yes. and you've yeah. charged it up and like, I'm going to hit him. He's not yeah. getting away. He's, in the, he's, he's nothing he can do. There's nothing that other ship can do. He's going to get hit. And it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable being the destroyer because there's lots of little things flying around all over the place. But once you start to get close and you do open up, like you say, with a broadside and you get your big thudding guns out and uh, start sort of laying into them, it's, uh, it's, it's very enjoyable um, being the big guy. But obviously for you, it took you a long time to get to position to turn to bear to bring the guns. Oh, yeah. There's all these little guys just nipping about all over the place. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, that's, that's the advantage when you get there because you're the guy with the big guns. Yeah, that's what um, you're there for. And, I'm not, and I'm not moving. I've, I've captured this point. I'm not moving, yeah. nor try, but it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, I've got a big gun and I'm going to stay quite where I've I am. I've got one much. job and I'm going to right. do it. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, and then talk exactly. to me about the um, free-to-play because, I mean, I always like, I like to ask this about free-to-play developers or games. Yeah. How have you structured it? What's how? What well, let pay? me say one one thing first of all. We're not pay to win. Just uh, no, say no, that. No. Uh, right. So just get that out of the way. Or indeed, pay um, to function. Are you familiar with that? Pay to, pay to function. Yeah. Pay Go to on, fun- tell me, pay, pay, pay to, to function, function is a good example of a game where you have lots of time gates to the point where the game reduces itself to a crawl. So in order to even play it at all, you have to put money into it. Yes, um, yes. So uh, the Dungeon Keeper game, which is a terrible. Yeah, it's perhaps. more like a mobile type yeah. uh, energy that, that mechanic. Energy yeah. mechanic. Yeah. It's yeah. not that. It's not that. No, <laughs> not that. Not that. So, so. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, free to play. The the good thing about free to play is, is is attracting a large audience. The the psychology between charging a penny for something. There's some great books about this. And free is 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 massive, right? Just any kind of transaction. Mm. slows people down and they have to think about it whereas free they give it a go um and um they are grateful for the fact that they're able to play a game for free and then maybe they'll get into it and start spending some money on it um and one of the good things about maybe the more core audiences compared to say mobile or a more casual free-to-play game is the core audiences and gamers do actually at some point have a more of an appreciation of the 
th- the thing that you've said to me before, which is like the people behind it. There's a st- there's a there's a whole bunch of people that are trying to make a game. They have actually got to earn a living in order to make the game and carry it on to lo- to live and yes. and go forward. So if they have got into it, there's a point at which, and I do it for the games I play. I'm like, okay, I've put quite a lot of hours into this game. These guys deserve my money, right? They they're not asked for any money, and actually, I don't need to necessarily put any money in. But okay, I'm going to buy myself some characters or I'm going to buy some skins or something because because actually, it, you know, I don't want this game that I'm quite enjoying to to stop. And of course, they do have to keep the lights on somehow. Um, so so I think free sort of slightly going off tangent. The free is a, is a very, very fascinating thing in, in, yeah. in general and the way it works. And there's enormously interesting things. But, you know, we're having a free weekend right now. And the difference between. Uh, charging $10 and free is an enormous amount of people. Um, and, and long may it continue. Um, and when we eventually go free and leave free turned on, um, it's, it's obviously becomes about those people enjoying themselves, having a good time. Um, and if people want to customize their spacecraft or get special crew or, um, uh, speed up their journey through the tech tree because they really, really want that spaceship over there. By the way, our tech tree, if anybody wants to know, tech tree, what we've got is um, the ships which are more complicated to play, um, which may seem like they might have an advantage, do more damage or cloak or something, but they have a high skill cap. So they're not better, but they are harder to play uh, at the sort of more the right yeah, side you have to train tree. yourself in order to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. So what if people are sitting there going, yeah, yeah, I'm good enough. I just want to get there fast. Then they can buy a booster and get there a little bit quicker. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's, there's all kinds of little, little ideas about what you might introduce to, 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 you know, see if people want to pay for them. But they're all sort of cosmetic stuff. So if somebody particularly wanted a badge on them by their name, then you might say, oh, well, you know, It'll cost you X pence per for for a different badge than the standard badge that you get. There's yeah. lots of little things you can do, but they're all about cosmetics and basically turning the game that you're now enjoying into something where you feel a little bit more ownership. Um, so it's almost like a Dota model in that Dota. Oh, absolutely. Entirely yeah. cosmetic, and people have their own interfaces because they bought them. They yeah. have their own yeah. voiceovers because they bought them. You know, yeah. they have their, their characters have different like swords and stuff because they bought them. Not that's doesn't right. do anything. Doesn't do anything to the actual yeah. functionality of that that creature or yeah. that thing. It just That's looks right. awesome. <laughs> so for our spacecraft, I mean, it's it's quite interesting because we we were we're not sure at all that people would actually think that customizing a spacecraft's looks is worth it. Mm. But our artists produced a, a few different um, uh, sort of texture sets for the the uh, spacecraft initially, a few different skins. Um, and yeah, people really enjoy them, and it's fascinating to see what they enjoy and what colours they enjoy and what particular um, sort of thematic things. We did um, uh, sort of a mustard yellow sort of patch type thing that sounds worse than it is. It does look really cool, um, called Nesso, and people really enjoyed that, and that's sort of very popular, sort of dark red. People like red, white, gold. Some pretty bold colours. And, and interesting, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people I think are experts on knowing what colours are the most popular colours that people would always want to customise towards. Mm. I think black and gold is a very gamer popular uh, colour combo yes. I've heard. Yes, um, so some, something as you that. can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, there's all these things, and um, 
we have a we have a list of different things that we think people would enjoy customizing the game towards um and you know we want to allow people to customize with the in-game currency so you know if you free currency that they've earned and then if you want to customize further then um you know you can you can pay for that and that you know i'm a I always feel even squeamish asking for any kind of money, but at the end of the day, there is a whole bunch of guys in a room, and I, I do have to pay them to to make the game. Yes, to it's even about them, so. all um, um, bread and rice. Yeah, let's not think it. about the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's either that or uh, let's not think about it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah so, let's not go there. exactly. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's free to play. Does influence the way you build your game design yeah. around the meta i would say mm. but the core of the game itself is about making a good solid fun uh in, immensely playable for many many hours um customizable tactical strategic game that you would make anyway right so right. that's got to work it's got to work in its own right yes um and otherwise no one's going to be asked in the exactly you've got you Again, know, people are going to to keep a thing <laughs> exactly if you sit there and say well our our uh, free to play model is based upon the fact that after 100 hours of play somebody starts spending money well actually they've got to get to 100 hours so yeah. you know it's, they, they, so it can't be um naff no. Uh, because you'll never get to the point at which people spend money and you know, people aren't daft. Um, so they, and especially, especially, especially when we're aiming at uh, a gamer audience, um, you know, and uh, that, like we talked about niches, we're aiming at a niche, but we're aiming at a niche on a global basis who, who we think is, is a good enough size to support us continuing to make the game mm-hmm. um, for hopefully many years, making more and more spaceships, making more and more game modes, um, introducing new maps, new worlds, adding to the world. I mean, we would really dearly love to see Fractured Space become more than just this game and become other things. Because, Indeed. you know, it's an IP, it's, you build an IP. We've got a writer at the moment um, that the game because we're in early access, we haven't worried too much about the law behind the universe, but actually we've got a writer currently writing away all the the law for the universe to build more background so people understand what they're doing and uh, who they're fighting for and what's around the universe so that we can build this out to become to become more. I mean, I mentioned that I'm busy playing uh, Star Wars Armada sort of board game, and you mentioned you like board games. I would love to see one day a board game of our universe, and it all sort of ties together and you know that kind of thing. Yeah, wouldn't that be fantastic? There, That's there, the kind of the world I dream of. Yeah, <laughs> there is a game I'll recommend to you after we recorded that uh, is very similar <laughs> to what you've made. Um, in a in a manner of speaking, right. so it's out on okay, Windows PC. Cool. Yeah, and um, Fractured Space is out on P- Windows PC right now. Yes, that's right. So on yeah. Steam, um, yeah. only on Steam for now. Right. Um, and uh, it's uh, well, I think we'll be on Steam for a long time to come, and just Steam for a long time to come. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, at the moment, it's free this weekend. Um, it's it, after it's free. If you've got it when it's free, then you keep it. And if you uh, uh, if you're missing the free weekends or any of the other free times you do it, then it is you know pretty low price to get into. It's normally about ten dollars, um, and uh, you can download and start playing straight away. Um, and uh, we're improving the experience all the time. We're in early access. Um, we will come out of early access later this year um, and we will go 
also go full free later this year. And we've really enjoyed working with the early access community. They've helped us enormously make the game better in lots and lots of ways. And in fact, they're part of the spaceship suggestion group. They love suggesting spaceships and weapons, which is really helpful uh, to keep those flowing. Um, and we're really enjoying, and this is the wonder of early access. In fact, this is the thing that I've decided is the thing about early access is that talking about all the history of the time that, um, sort of my sort of going back in history and what we used to make, the way we used to make games, we used to make games on a monolithic document. We used to make it for a year, 18 months, not until a week after the game came out, did we actually know whether it's any good and we could, you know, have a lot of faith and belief and all these kind of things, but we were still nervous game developers until the week after it was released. In early access, you put something out, and yes, it might be, especially if you look at our early first release on early access, it might be a little bit ropey, rough around the edges, crash occasionally. But from that point onwards, the entire team is coming into work every day with the thought, I am now making it better. I know what we've got. I know it's good. We're making it better. And that what, what is I a love huge to... difference. Yeah, it is. What I love to see is when I see early access games, like, oh, look, they've changed the interface. They knew that was a bit clutchy. Yep. And they're like, oh, look, the UI's changed. It's usually one of the last things that changed, I believe. I might be wrong. But it's like the interface and the, that kind of thing. Like everyone knows where the buttons are. Yeah, but look, you don't even know what... Well, it's a bit small, isn't it? And yeah. <laughs> that kind of yep. stuff. And like, oh, no, we've... Oh, look, they played that bigger and they've turned it into a sphere and all sorts of things. So Yeah, tweaking all, and, and yeah. changing all along the way and listening to people because you've got the, the, the wonder of an actual audience playing your game and giving you feedback, which, again, you didn't have. You, you again, the, the psychology is different. You know, I've got a fan, fantastic team. We've done a fantastic job, but their their motivation is so much higher than and their level of um, uh, the enthusiasm they can build every day because, again, they know they've got something good and they're making a better, which was so hard to do on a dark and windy day when you're making a game and you just don't know for another year. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it was very it was quite tough sometimes back in the old days. But, I, you know, now I think things are things are good. It's a good time to be making games. It really is. James, on that fantastic note, thank you very, very, very much for being on the show. Um, it's been fantastic listening to you about your history and your influences. And you obviously got extraordinary amount of enthusiasm and knowledge about what you're making here. So thank you and your team for making that space and uh, making it a thing. I think the world is better for it, for existing. And uh, I do wish you and the rest of your team the very best of luck in making it a thing that's even better than it currently is. Thank you very much. There's, a, there's an enormous amount to come. Um, and, uh, well, thank you for having me. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye